This is the More Than Right Podcast, an independent view of politics and American culture. I'm your host, Steve Lopez. Before it was known as fake news, they called it yellow journalism. It referred to the scandal-mongering sensationalism and outright lies employed by late 19th century publishers to sell newspapers. Publishers like William Randolph Hearst and Joseph Pulitzer, both Democrats, used fake news to sensationalize Imperial Spain's brutality against its Cuban colonists. It helped whip up war fever in America that eventually pushed the U.S. into war with Spain, especially after a mysterious explosion sank the American battleship USS Maine in Havana Harbor in August of 1898. But war was not the goal for publishers Hearst and Pulitzer. It was for their readers' attention, and, more importantly, cash. Following the death of Yellow Journalism's co-founder, Joseph Pulitzer, in 1911, he bequeathed $2 million to Columbia University, which equals $62.4 million when adjusted for today's inflation. The following year, Columbia University opened its Graduate School of Journalism, and five years later, Columbia began awarding the Pulitzer Prize for journalistic excellence. But has Pulitzer's award become a prize recognizing its namesake's brand of fake news? Recently, the Pulitzer Committee issued a statement answering that question, and it regards awarding its prize to the New York Times and Washington Post for their reporting on the now-discredited Trump-Russia collusion hoax. Quote, The Pulitzer Prize Board has an established formal process by which complaints against winning entries are carefully reviewed. In the last three years, the Pulitzer Board has received inquiries, including from former President Donald Trump, about submissions from the New York Times and the Washington Post on Russian interference in the U.S. election and its connections to the Trump campaign, submissions that jointly won the 2018 National Reporting Prize. These inquiries prompted the Pulitzer Board to commission two independent reviews of the work submitted by those organizations to our national reporting competition. Both reviews were conducted by individuals with no connection to the institutions whose work was under examination or any connection to each other. The separate reviews converged in their conclusions that no passages or headlines, contentions, or assertions in any of the winning submissions were discredited by facts that emerged subsequent to the conferral of the prizes. The 2018 Pulitzer Prizes in National Reporting stand. And of course, Trump responded to the Pulitzer Commission. The truth is that the 2018 Pulitzer Prize was handed out for reporting that merely parroted political disinformation, disinformation that we know was fabricated by foreign operatives and my political opponents. If the Pulitzer Prize has become a blatant acknowledgement of false, liberal political propaganda, then the Pulitzer Board should say so. Unquote. Just in case, like the Pulitzer Commission, you've forgotten, Special Counsel Robert Mueller's report, summing up his two-year investigation into the Trump-Russia collusion delusion, states, quote, The investigation did not establish that members of the Trump campaign conspired or coordinated with the Russian government 
in its election interference activities, unquote. And Mueller's account of Russia's interference in the 2016 presidential election sounds more like pranks than espionage. For instance, Mueller says that a Russian intelligence unit established social media groups to sow discord among Americans. One group, quote, recruited individuals to perform acts such as walking around New York City dressed up as Santa Claus with a Trump mask, unquote. And a Russian-sponsored Facebook group calling itself United Muslims of America staged a pro-Clinton rally that paid a clueless dolt to hold up a sign with a bogus quote attributed to Hillary, reading, quote, I think Sharia law should be a powerful new direction of freedom, unquote. These are hardly riveting plot points to spy novels by John Le Carre or Tom Clancy. That's because Russians don't usually play around, as opponents of Vladimir Putin living in England can attest, like Alexander Litvienko, who died slowly and painfully in a London hospital after his tea was laced with a poisonous radioisotope polonium-210, or Sergei Skripal and his daughter, victims of a Novichok nerve gas attack in Salisbury, England. It's even said that when Putin was head of the old KGB, he ordered the execution of traitor agents by having them lowered slowly into a furnace. With that in mind, Putin must have had himself a good laugh while reading intelligence reports on the American media's hysterical coverage of Trump's colluding with Russia, all based on the college fraternity pranks his intelligence agents unleashed via Twitter and Facebook. But Russia did receive a helpful assist from British spy Christopher Steele. His anti-Trump dossier, which was paid for by the Democratic National Committee and the Hillary Clinton presidential campaign, formed the basis of the FBI's counterintelligence investigation into Trump and members of his 2016 campaign. The upshot of the dossier was that Trump's alleged sexual exploits with Russian prostitutes while on business in Moscow made him vulnerable to blackmail. But the 2019 report by Inspector General for the FBI, Michael Horowitz, had some interesting things to say about the Steele dossier. Most importantly, that Steele's sources were, quote, representatives for multiple Russian oligarchs, including the potential for Russian disinformation influencing Steele's election reporting, unquote. The Steele dossier did more than serve as a pivotal spark that launched the FBI's bogus investigation of Trump and the unjustified appointment of Robert Mueller as special counsel. Steele also shopped his dossier to various media companies, which included the New York Times, and the Washington Post. The Pulitzer Commission's refusal to rescind its 2018 prize for exceptional reporting on events that never occurred is shocking but understandable. In taking back the prize, they would admit that the Times and Post were dupes of Russian disinformation. Russian disinformation used by the DNC and Clinton campaign to smear Donald Trump. Russian disinformation used by the FBI as evidence to launch an investigation into Trump. Russian disinformation the secret foreign intelligence surveillance court judged credible when granting warrants to spy on Trump and his associates during and after a presidential election. Russian disinformation the deep state and the Trump deranged hacks of the mainstream media believed would culminate in Trump's removal from office.
Or, put more succinctly, it was Russian disinformation that formed the basis of a conspiracy to overthrow the man who, at the time, headed the most powerful institution on the planet, the Presidency of the United States of America, the only American office holder elected by all the people. Trump was a victim of Russian disinformation used as ammunition in a failed coup d'etat. With this in mind, try not to laugh when Democrats tell you that the January 6th Capitol intrusion by men dressed as George Washington or Native American shamans was worse than 9-11. Uninvited guests are often most welcome when they leave. So said Aesop of fable fame. And no one knows this better than Washington, D.C. Mayor Muriel Bowser. During an appearance on CBS's Face the Nation, Mayor Bowser said her city's homeless shelters are being overrun by illegal aliens. But she doesn't blame the Biden administration's open border policies for overtaxing services intended to help D.C.'s mentally ill, substance-abusing homeless. Instead, she blamed the governors of Texas and Arizona for apprehending a small portion of the hundreds of thousands of illegal aliens invading their states each month, buying them bus tickets and shipping them off to the nation's capital. CBS correspondent Margaret Brennan asked, quote, The Washington Post reported last week that the homeless shelters in D.C. were filling up, and groups are getting overwhelmed by these buses that the governors of Texas and Arizona are sending full of migrants. How significant is this influx? How many people? Unquote. Bowser answered, quote, We have for sure called for the federal government to work across state lines to prevent people from really being tricked into getting on buses. We think they are largely asylum seekers who are going to final destinations that are not Washington, D.C., but I fear that they are being tricked into nationwide bus trips when their final destinations are places all over the United States of America, unquote. The city of Washington, D.C., or the District of Columbia, is under the control of Congress. Although the city has a mayor and a 13-member council, Congress has the power to overturn laws enacted by the city government and control over its annual budget. Clearly, D.C. is a creature of Congress. The median annual household income in D.C. is $92,266. For the nation at large, that figure is $74,099. A city filled with public servants shuffling papers earns roughly 20% more than the great unwashed toiling at real jobs beyond the Capitol Beltway's outer loop. You know, the folks who pay income taxes and of late are paying the cruelest tax of all hyperinflation. The problems affecting Americans aren't supposed to hit those living within the high castle walls of our nation's capital, a city that today looks more like an armed camp since Joe Biden ascended the presidency. But Texas Governor Greg Abbott and Arizona Governor Doug Ducey intend to remind D.C. that its immigration policies affect all Americans, 
even those residing in the District of Columbia. And so, their respective state legislatures have budgeted funds to bus and dump illegal immigrants on Washington. Turnabout, as they say, is fair play. The New York Post has reported that the Biden administration is airlifting tens of thousands of illegals from Texas to small airports in New York State. The flights arrive between the hours of 12 midnight and 6 a.m. The arrivals are placed on buses and sent to unknown U.S. destinations. You see, Governors Abbott and Ducey are simply returning the favor. But it is Biden and not the previously mentioned governors who have tricked illegals into coming to America with policies that help them establish residence and receive social services to begin new lives as future replacement voters. You see, the trick being played is not on illegal aliens. The trick is on us. Banished from his own country for being insufferable, Henry Charles Albert David, known in England as both Prince Harry and the Duke of Sussex, went before the United Nations, a democracy of dictators, to whine about ever-changing weather and that the U.S. is a nation of laws and not men, or women for that matter. Quote, Climate change wreaking havoc on our planet with the most vulnerable suffering most of all, the few weaponizing lies and disinformation at the expense of the many, and from the horrific war in Ukraine to the rolling back of constitutional rights here in the United States, we are witnessing a global assault on democracy and freedom, unquote. Now it becomes clear why Grandmother Queen Elizabeth II banished her boar of a grandson and his D-list actress wife, Meghan Markle, to the land of the fruits and nuts, California. They act and talk like entitled dim-bulb Hollywood celebrities, those desperately seeking attention by virtue signaling about one or another hot-button issue. In the days of Prince Harry's mother, Princess Diana, the great causes were unexploded landmines and AIDS. Her virtue signaling on these and other issues earned her great esteem in the hearts of the British public, and that esteem was expressed by an unhinged outpouring of grief upon hearing of her untimely death in an auto accident in Paris. Thousands lined the streets and displayed profound sorrow as the hearse bearing her coffin made its way through the streets of London. The vast majority of them only knew her through television. The late British writer Christopher Hitchens, an expatriate Brit living in America, wrote of this bizarre outpouring of emotion, quote, After all this drama and strife, they have not grasped the salient fact that Diana no longer was a member of the royal family, that, indeed, that family had cast her out and now, grotesquely, becomes the proprietor of her children, unquote. Harry was among Diana's young brood taken in by the queen, a woman so hated at the time of Diana's untimely death that some observers feared negative British public opinion might end the millennium-old monarchy but public opinion is fickle, and the Queen is back on top. 
But this is not so for Diana's boy, Harry. Recently, back in England to celebrate his grandmother's platinum jubilee, Harry and wife Megan were met with loud boos as they climbed the steps to St. Paul's Cathedral to attend service. A poll finds Harry's favorability rating among Brits as low as 26%. Unpopular and cut off from British taxpayer support, the couple lives in pricey California off the remnants of his late mother's fortune. Thus, Harry is running out of financial options. This may explain his virtue signaling on behalf of climate change and his slights against America's constitutional order. It also explains the venue used to express his thoughts, that dictatorship-heavy anti-American hive of scum and villainy, the United Nations. Many have correctly criticized Harry for insulting his adopted home, a place unique among all the nations of Earth for prizing individual liberty above the whims of the Democratic majority and its elected representatives. Beautifully expressed in the First Amendment's nod to free speech, and the Second Amendment's resounding declaration upholding the individual's right to bear arms. But this British royal is profoundly mistaken when he implies that the recent Supreme Court ruling overturning Roe v. Wade represents a rolling back of constitutional rights here in the United States. On the contrary, it brings a flawed interpretation of the Constitution into compliance with the foundational principles outlined in the Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It took a civil war to expunge the lie of slavery from our Constitution. It took a recent Supreme Court ruling to purge the fiction that a woman's right to kill her unborn child ever existed in the document, thus bringing the Constitution, once again, into compliance with the principles of the Declaration. A Declaration whose second half consists of an indictment of King George III for his crimes against American liberty, such as, quote, He has called together legislative bodies at places unusual, uncomfortable, and distant for the depository of their public records for the sole purpose of fatiguing them into compliance with his measures. Unquote. Prince Harry, like President Joe Biden, would have American economic and political freedom subject to the dictates of foreign and distant environmental entities unbound by the consent of America's governed. This, too, is in direct contradiction to the Declaration's call for Americans to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them. You see, the God of the Old and New Testaments prizes freedom above obedience. This explains the tyrant's unending struggle with that most ancient of enemies, free will. Prince Harry's United Nations diatribe on behalf of dictatorial international climate conventions coupled with his royal disdain of American freedom and constitutional order, should renew our dedication to the principles of our Declaration, the unalienable rights contained in our Constitution, and our fierce independence from not only Prince Harry's Britain, but the world. 
That concludes this edition of the More Than Right podcast. Should you wish to leave a comment, you can reach us at morethanrightpodcast at gmail.com. And if you enjoyed the podcast, please give it a five-star review on Apple iTunes. It will help promote the podcast and be much appreciated. Until next time, this is Steve Lopez. Steve Lopez